1: It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Are you ready? Don't kill me. I do love that um, usually for podcast records you say, hey, can you jump in the online studio and make sure that you're in a quiet room and then I've like... Oh my god. That's amazing. What is that on your T shirt? It's porridge. (laughs) I I love that you're just you're such a rebel, Vic, because you're outside on your balcony of your holiday house with the birds tweeting in the background. Mm. You've got porridge on your your dirty shirt.
0: Yep. (laughs) it's
1: authentic
0: authentic living
1: do you know what that, that is definitely one of the things that i love about you is everything i see of you is so real and so genuine and you are not trying to convince anybody that you're anyone other than who you truly are It's so, that is good. so
0: true it's yeah.
1: refreshing it's so refreshing you did you, there was a post the other day of there was a frying pan what was the frying pan post oh i'd written fucking some rice or something <laughs> Yeah. like i feel you so hard right now my rebellions i think though you are and look we can we can get into this but there is something rebellious about being sober that i think i don't know like it's nice to tap into that it's a bit of a flex sometimes i know i don't want to say the word flex like no i love the it's word a, flex it's a brag but like sometimes when people are like Oh, you're so. Oh my god, you haven't had a drink for eight years? I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> like, damn straight girlfriend, I am sober as a mother.
0: <laughs> I tell everybody. And in fact, I'm surprised there hasn't been any restraining orders against me. <laughs> because I'm like tapping people on the shoulder at bus stops.
1: Hey, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> Something to tell you. You don't know literally. me, but I'm sober. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I am literally that bad. Um, well, to formally introduce, reintroduce you to my podcast listeners, Victoria Vanstone rejoins me on Last Drinks, and it's so lovely to chat to you again. You have a live event happening in Sydney that I want to talk about and encourage people to get along to. What are the live? What is the live event?
0: Well, we did one on the Sunshine Coast a couple of months ago, and a lot of people have been saying, "Come on, you've got to do a live recording of the podcast. We want to yes. meet you." So yes, a lot of people. Oh, oh my there's God! There's weird bird next to <laughs> of me. Of
1: course there is. That's amazing. It's actually massive. It's on a tree. Maybe um, it's responding to my voice. <laughs> yeah. maz would you like me to go inside? No, I'm loving the atmosphere. It's okay. great. No, let's just run with it, baby. So long as it's somebody probably going to be start. an
0: emu, and I'll be attacked by an emu in a minute. Well,
1: first of all, that would be hilarious, and then I will <laughs> use this video. And secondly, so long as someone doesn't start jackhammering next door, we'll be fine. I'm happy with I, the birds.
0: I can't guarantee it. <laughs>
1: um.
0: So, yes, the live event we did, people wanted to come and meet us. So we were like, we would love to meet people who listen to Sober Awkward. Love it. it weird like that. We love meeting people who are on the sober journey because we love chatting with them. Yeah. So that was it, really. Me and Hamish just wanted to give a big sober awkward hug to some people that listen to us so we decided to do the live show and Hamish is amazing because he's a trained actor and he did stand-up comedy and stuff so he was really confident going in and and I've never done anything like that I did my Byron show which was really cool and that was in front of 200 people so I did yeah. a year of Toastmasters amazing <laughs> because my legs go wobbly if I'm in front of people really right behind a microphone I can talk to people one on one. I'm fine in a small group, but in front of a, a big group of people, my body doesn't work properly. I go red. I get a rash on my neck. My hands shake, and my knees go wobbly. And I've known this about myself for years, and it's really people can't believe it about no, me. I'm I, like, I was
1: just yeah. about to say, <laughs> I, I, I do believe you. But I struggle to believe that because you put, you exude confidence in, in the settings that I've seen you, which is behind a microphone predominantly. Um, yeah. You do have such uh, confidence and you're so, um, you're so true to yourself, Vic. And yeah. so, but how, like what a, what a cool process of understanding yourself and learning a new skill, right?
0: It was really, really hard, quite honestly. I found it really overwhelming. And the thing is with Toastmasters, and I really recommend anyone doing it, actually, because all it is, it's the same with sobriety. It's practice makes perfect. And you get up in front of a group of people you never met before, and the first time it was just to say my name. It was like an AA meeting, I guess. I had to stand (laughs) up and say, hi, I'm Vic, I'm scared of talking socially, I am here to learn and everybody's in the same boat and they're all here to support you and it was a really brilliant year and I got out of it what I wanted and by the end of it I'd probably done three speeches I'd practiced everything that I talk about about alcohol in front of this group of people they probably thought I was a bit mad because I just got up and talked about all my awful boozy past while everyone else was talking about you know business things (laughs) and I'd be talking about what a piss wreck I was but but basically it worked i was still nervous when i got up on the stage in byron and i was still nervous when i got up on the stage here on the sunny coast but it's something i feel like i have to do because i do feel like i have a story to tell and a message to give and that it's part of my journey is is Talking publicly about it. So, yeah, yeah, I prefer to be behind the mic like we are now, but mm. I know that pushing myself out of the comfort zone is a good way to start living because I talk about that a lot. So, therefore, I need to kind of listen to my own uh, advice and do it. So, yes, the, the Sultry Coast one was brilliant, and we talked about sober socializing, which is what we're going to talk about when we come to Sydney. And I had shaky hands and shaky legs beforehand, but as soon as I got up on that stage, you couldn't get me off which is so weird it's like a mental thing that I do to myself wind myself up and then when I got on there I loved every minute of it and actually it was really bright the room and we could see everybody in there and we had a really great audience interaction and we got to chat with everybody there and people asked questions and basically we just had a right laugh
1: I love that it's funny the difference because there is a difference to performance in different settings and there you know a live audience is a different set of skills almost to sitting behind a microphone and that's a different set of skills to sitting on a couch during live television and I I've done both TV and radio for most of my adult life and I Get way more nervous before a live television broadcast than I do yep. before a live radio show. I don't know why, I just do. And people say to me, "Oh, but TV, radio, like it's all the same." I'm like, no, no, no. It's a completely different beast. It, yep. it requires a different, um, a, a different set of skills. It requires a different headspace to get into. And yep. then podcasting again is like another different thing, right? So with radio, for me, I talk for four minutes. I have a beginning, a middle and an end and then we play a pink song and I have this like automatic out at the end of my little bit of audio that I'm communicating. Whereas this podcasting, which I love, is long form. It's conversational. You can go deep. You can ask questions. There's no one winding you up. You can swear like it's so, (laughs) it's like a really different, um, it's a different vibe but I I love them all for what they offer. And then live again, live on a stage with people watching you in the moment is so terrifying for some people. So congratulations to you for doing the work and learning those skills and learning how to control your body in that environment. And then it must be extra rewarding for you to know, well, now you're bringing the show to Sydney. And we're going to do it all again. And you kind of know what to expect.
0: Yeah and it's good actually because the funniest thing was it was the ad-lib stuff that was good the Mm. stuff that we have to kind of set it up in a sort of script and know where we're going so we don't go off track too much but having the audience there I was surprised that we still were able to go off script have a laugh and relax and involve everybody that was there it was so fabulous so we're really excited about coming and meeting all of our Sydney mates you know and showing them what we do it is hard getting a sober crowd out I've experienced this. Yeah. Sober people, we become quite introverted in our mm. sober ways. And getting us out for a night can be quite hard. So rounding up the crowds to say, come on, guys, get out of the house, leave the scrabble at home. Yeah, put your cups of tea down. We're going to go out for the night and have a laugh. And to try and round them up, it's like, come on, we've got we've to do this. We've got to hold the mantle high and say, look, we're not boring. We still go out for nights. So yeah. I'll be doing a bit of that soon, I think.
1: I love it. So where can people find tickets to the Sydney show and when is it? It's on the 21st of
0: September. It's in the Harold Park Community Hall, which is near the fish markets there. Um, Yeah, near the the tram sheds. It's a beautiful venue. There's, I think, 100 tickets and... There's going to be some alcohol-free drinks there. There's loads of um, public transport nearby. Yeah, and I think it starts at half past six. The tickets are on Eventbrite, or you can get them on our website, which is SoberAwkward.com.
1: Now, you said that it's you sort of, I guess, the theme of it is how to socialise sober. That's sort of what you're talking about. So without giving it all away, because obviously we do want people to... Um, go buy tickets and be there and you know what even if you know even if you're a pro at socializing sober seeing a podcast live is a really cool experience like because usually we consume podcasts in the car on our long drives or whatever and it's you know sometimes it's background noise but actually being present in the room and watching that magic unfold between two hosts and everything is like that's a that'll be a fun night for people um, but so the theme being how to socialize sober, and I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, as do I. My first question to you is what was the number one thing that sticks out in your mind when you became sober that was challenging for you in a social situation? Was it, and again, the name of your podcast is Sober Awkward, so I feel like that really does explain it, but please elaborate.
0: Well, Maz, the problem was with me is that I am a social beast. (laughs) Like, I always have been. That has been my thing, is going out, making friends, entertaining everybody. And that's why I drank, was because it was my way of fitting in and people expected of me. I was your reliable drinking buddy, the person that stayed out with you till the end. Last man standing, watching the sunrise. So... That was my reputation, and to suddenly not be that anymore mm. was extremely awkward for me and for everybody that know that knew me and knows yeah. me now um, so coming out of my sober closet took a while. Mm. I kept it a secret for eighteen months because of this exact reason I did not tell. Only my husband knew, and my kids—they were still little, so they didn't really know what was going on. But I went out and I held a beer like it was a lifeline to fun, and I didn't take a sip for eighteen months because I could not bear the thought of people being disappointed in me, which is quite crazy looking back.
1: Really, really intense. Yeah. Is that? Do you think that that um, thought process of like? I'm just going to stand here and hold a beer because I just can't even go there. Is it a people pleasing thing? Like, because I, I feel like as women, we get taught to be good girls mm. and to keep everybody happy. And so if you're not drinking and that's going to piss somebody off, it's easier to pretend that maybe you're drinking than, than let that person down.
0: Absolutely. That's what it was. The reason I drank was it was due to a bullying situation at school and I lost some friends. It wasn't a physical abuse. It was like a mental mental abuse, whereas my friends Mm. never spoke to me again. And from that moment on in i not only wanted to make friends i wanted to keep them so drinking was the way that i did that and that became a form of people pleasing which is exactly what i was talking about party girls are people pleasers you know i always say it's an addict with backstage passes but really what it was was that i was going out trying to make everybody happy by the way that i acted so therefore i was putting on an act all the time which is bloody draining and having the responsibility of an entire room every time i went out that's how i felt these people want me to act in a certain way so therefore I have to fulfill what they want no matter how detrimental that was to me no matter if I woke up with a weird bloke or you know all these horrible things that happened to me I never ever considered myself in the situation Mm. and actually when I first got sober it felt very private it felt like it was just between me and my family and for the first time ever the reason I didn't tell anybody was because it was something I was doing for myself for the first time. I had never, ever taken care of myself before and taken back my power. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I didn't know who I was and nobody would know who I was anymore. So I didn't feel the need. And actually, thinking about it now, it's actually the first time I haven't people-pleased. I mean, mm-hmm. hold, me holding that beer was a way of like not getting any questions asked. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, by not revealing what was really going on, It was like I was taking the drama away. If I'd gone, I'm giving up drinking, it's all this, and I'm still this kind of dramatic person and gone into every situation. I'm not drinking, look at me. It would have been the same sort of thing. Mm. But I think about it now and I go, actually i was keeping it private and keeping it close to myself because it was very very special to me and very very it was like a little magic that i was holding on to myself it felt a bit like those three months when you're pregnant you don't tell anyone it's like that special secret that you keep to yourself that i knew for the first time that i was doing something kind for myself and it just didn't feel safe to reveal it And I think, actually, it was the first time I had any boundaries and didn't feel the need to blurt out every single thing I was doing.
1: That is such huge self-awareness. I I think hearing you say that, I think that's why my husband and I eloped. (laughs) Because we we went to Bali for six weeks, got engaged, went to Bali for six weeks, and we got married over there and didn't tell a single soul, except for my mum and his mum. We told the mums. we didn't tell anyone else and it was like so special and I feel like it's just it was the best start to a marriage and I was married before and he was married before and that's probably another reason why we eloped but there was something about having like a really beautiful secret together and not a secret of shame which is what I think my drinking was in the past it was like I didn't really level with people on how much I was drinking because I was ashamed of it. This yeah. was the secret because it was so beautiful and so precious and meant so much to us. And to know that we shared this really amazing Balinese wedding on this rooftop with the sun setting over beautiful. in the city pool is so beautiful. Like, it's my favourite thing to think about. And there was no one else there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. nice. So, so nice. So I, I do. I totally get... It's funny, I I really understand, and you might not have overthought it at the time, but like the logic behind making a choice, like just keeping this to yourself until you're ready to tell people you don't have to share everything with everyone all of the time. And I don't think people have given themselves permission to do that a lot I think especially with social media like so much oversharing on media on social media platforms unnecessarily oversharing whether it's for validation or you know whatever and I'm all for freedom of speech but that doesn't mean you need to say it all at, at the time that it's happening you know yeah and also
0: I think that you know like me like my people pleasery ways I knew that if people i think it made me unsafe telling people because mm. then they might have questioned me or gone well what's wrong with you you don't have a problem you're not extreme or worry about it if you know you know you know in a dumpster behind the Seven Eleven, or you know mm. clutching a bottle of jack daniels i knew that people wouldn't understand because i wasn't extreme enough i thought to deserve professional help so Mm. i thought people would think oh well she's just a binge drinker what's wrong with her what a party pooper and i knew that telling people at that stage was unsafe it's not Mm. like now even in five years now you can tell people and it's pretty safe people are very accepting but even just five years ago and like you maz eight years ago people didn't really understand and i think that's what's Mm. changing in our society now is people have a empathy and if you say the words, I'm sober, you know that there's a story there. You don't have to explain how extreme you were or how unextreme you were. You just have to say, I'm sober. And that should be enough for people to go, cool, do you want a fizzy water?
1: Yeah, I I agree. It's a much easier conversation to have now. And I think conversations like this podcasts like yours and this podcast are reshaping that narrative that, I'm sober equals I had an out of control alcohol addiction. And so now my punishment is to never drink alcohol again. And now I'm sober. I think yeah. that those two, and I know everyone gets to sobriety in their own way. And for some people, that is the story. It is leaving Las Vegas, right? Yeah. But not everybody. And I'm sober doesn't have to always equal it was out of control and there was a rock bottom. I'm sober can just mean, you know what, it wasn't working for me and I've decided to make a different choice for my health, for my relationship, for my kids, for my family, for my work ethic, for my mental health. Like whatever Mm. it is, you are allowed to choose differently and those, I think that choice is getting easier to make for people. I still think though going back into society as a sober person, if you've been a big drinker, can be really, really overwhelming for people. So do you have a bit of advice on, I guess, re-entering society as a sober person? Like one key thing people can either um, think about or aren't equip themselves with when they go into a social situation in sobriety?
0: I think there are so many good tips. Like my first time I went anywhere, I remember feeling like there was a... A light shining on me like I was the only person that had ever given up drinking. That's how it felt. And I remember thinking that I could hear myself very clearly, my own voice, and I could see everybody more clearly. And the room and the sound of the room, everything becomes extremely raw Mm -hmm. and that can be overwhelming because usually you're numbed out you're half pissed by the time you probably arrive at the pub totally. like everybody's there they're all half pissed it's not mm-hmm. a reality and then suddenly you're in this I always say like this bright light was on me shining on me it felt like everybody could see me everything I said was coming out wrong and my jokes didn't land as well and it was just like this really uncomfortable feeling the first time I went out but of course the more that I went out, the easier it became. It's a real practice makes perfect thing. The fir- I recommend if you're going out, firstly, go to, if you're going dancing, go to a Dancing in the Dark event. That is absolutely brilliant. Me and Hamish went to one. We did Dancing in the Dark for an hour. And the next time I went out, I just closed my eyes and pretended I was there. <laughs>
1: I love that. So I've been to, um, there was a, a night um, rolling around in Sydney when I lived in the eastern suburbs called No Lights, No Lycra.
0: That's what and we it, went to.
1: Yeah, yes, that yeah. That was so fun and to- did it totally sober, had the best time, best workout of my life. And then yeah. another one that I've tapped into, so I'm on the central coast now, but there are clubber size classes. Oh, great. And so clubber size is you get into a, like a community hall, the lights are off, right. but there's glow sticks
0: yeah. Um, great. There's bright
1: lights. There's banging tunes, and and you learn choreography. So it and that's that's a workout and a half. Like if you want to burn 500 calories in a night, yeah, yeah. Go, go to a one hour club size class. You can I think it's all if you just search club size you'll find one. Like, originated in the UK. Yes, so like, good. Oh, so fun! Oh yeah, there's, like there's not enough
0: like stuff like that up here. I mean, that's somebody who who's going out out. you know what I mean? Not yeah. somebody who's just like going out with their mates for in the, the pub, first time, yeah, yeah, or to the pub. But I definitely think that just even if you just go for ten minutes, and then the next time you go for twenty minutes, and the next time you go for thirty minutes, just build it up slowly. There's no pressure on you now to be mm-hmm. the drunkest person in the room or be the funniest person. Yeah. I always tell people this brilliant bit of advice that somebody gave me once that was when i was a drinker you know those roundabouts at the park that kids used to get on you know they spin around my drinking was like that i was on one of those and all my friends and family were on there and i was spinning around and it was all really chaotic and giving up drinking was like stepping off that and being an observer and watching all that go on and that weight coming off my shoulders when somebody told me that analogy, I was like, "Oh my God! I can step off the roundabout and be one that's on the sidelines, observing, still having a nice time, leaving when I want to, not regurgitating, you know, not being sick into the toilet, and somebody holding my my ponytail." I I could change. And that's a really good way of thinking about things is that you have changed. And this social situation is never going to be the same as you thought it was. And you have to reframe what fun is for you now that you're sober and fun can be it it, is different fun isn't you lying on the floor of a nightclub it's actually you going to be having decent conversations and connecting with people Mm. and for that you need to be somewhere that's not too noisy somewhere that's not full of drunk people possibly so you need to work out what's going to work for you in your sobriety like one of my things that i decided when i got sober was that i was going to swap days for nights yes i did
1: the same
0: yeah, and it was really important to me to say, right, at night I'm not gonna try and socialise for a bit yeah. because I know that's dangerous for me. And I know that there's influences out there, there's people are gonna be on a different level than I am, and I'm not yeah. gonna enjoy it. So actually I'm just gonna ditch that for a bit.
1: Yeah. And that and worked. And it's an easy swap out, I think, in early sobriety to go if someone goes, Hey, do you wanna go out for dinner? And you're like, What about brunch? Because yeah. it it's just it's easier to not order Crown lagers at 10 a.m. Then yes, it is, you yes. know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. not for everyone, but for most people, and, and I would do uh, stuff like, because um, I did find, you know, I, the, the invites didn't drop off. They do eventually, I think, for stuff, but you yes. can kind of get over it, I think. You stop caring. But um when the invites were coming in thick and fast, I would say to girlfriends, because we would just, you know, hang out from four PM and have wine. Yeah. And I and I would say, Hey, instead of hanging out this afternoon, why don't we get up early and go for a bushwalk in the morning? Yeah. Like You do get, you do get
0: a few eye rolls, then eye then, rolls yeah. at the beginning yeah. of sobriety, don't you? Like, what a fucking oh, really? bushwalk.
1: Really? Yeah, like, on. oh, so fine. I'm like, yeah, but but we can watch the sunrise. <laughs> oh great. We're getting up that early. You're mad. Uh, But I didn't find but you know what? The friends that have um that are still in my world are the friends that were fine with that with the re Yeah, with the switching out the night stuff for the morning or the day stuff. And then Mm. I did I, I just I didn't find that I became a recluse, but I got comfortable with being home. At yeah. night in my pajamas yeah. and then I figured out I'm actually an introvert and my entire adult life has been doing my head in. <laughs> yeah, same.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I thinking, listen, when I listen to a lot of podcasts, I often hear people say, like, when you tell your mates, like, because you've changed so much, like you've gone from being someone that goes out to being someone that stays in a yeah. lot. And yeah. you, I get my socialising done in the morning. I have a cup of coffee and a swim in the ocean by 6 o'clock in the morning. And you I'm done. That. And then I'm you know, ready for my day and ready for bed. And it can be really hard for people. But often on podcasts, I say that you know, people lose a lot of friends when they get sober, mm. or people are really funny with them, or, or people that are still really big drinkers don't treat them the same anymore. And I often hear the advice, which is to dump those friends because they don't understand you anymore and it's just gonna trigger you and all of this stuff. But what I have found is that those are the people that are gonna need you. That's right. The ones that are really against you giving up drinking, your real classic boozy mates, stay in touch with those people is my advice. You know, maybe don't see them as much. Do those breakfasts with them instead and make it very mm-hmm. clear that you're not drinking anymore. But at the same time, don't dump those mates because they're the emails that I get now. They're mm-hmm. the mates that know what I'm doing, you know, know mm-hmm. that I'm I'm sobered out and they're like, oh, my God, how can you do this? Yeah can I do this too? So don't dump the ones. I know it's confronting for them. It's just a mirror being held up to them and they can't handle it, which is exactly how I would have been. And I needed someone like me. I needed someone sober. I didn't have a mentor or anyone else that could give me advice. And once you're sober, you become that person to someone else. And it's really important just to make sure you stay in touch with those that you think might need it in the future.
1: And I think, too, with those boozy mates, when, you know, if they do have a moment where they come to that crossroads or they want to draw that line in the sand or, or it could be a rock bottom for them, you, you know, yeah. whatever that moment is, they're going to reach out to somebody who they know is on that sober journey to say, hey, like. This isn't working for me. Like how did you how did you handle this? How did you? And I think it's really important for anyone in sobriety to find a buddy, find a sober yeah. buddy who yeah. is, you know, doesn't have it all worked out cuz none of us do, but who's a little bit further down the road. You know, if you're on day yeah. 1, find someone on day 100 and talk to them because they're going to have a little bit of wisdom to share. And that's going to, I always say the buddy system is really important when you're in kindergarten, crossing the road, when you start out at the gym and when you become sober. Totally. If you have someone just there to help you across the road or to show up and be accountable to or to be sober with, I think it's really, I think that's great advice is don't dump those friends keep maybe keep them at an arm's length and don't don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to compromise your sobriety but definitely stay on the on the outer edge of that friendship garden with them because you you could very well be the person that they reach out to you know when they have a crisis or or a moment where they're like oh god i I just think maybe sobriety is the way to go
0: yeah so true and also taking that sober buddy out with you like if you do find someone mine is lucy who i used to do the podcast with yeah. like we used to go out and she would be so scared like she hates going out she she's she was shy when she was a kid she started drinking wasn't shy anymore she's sober she's like shy, shy again So it's like this whole process of of going back to who you were and having to relearn, socialising almost, without alcohol. And she was so nervous. But it was so good because... You know, we got ready together, we could talk about how it was going to go, what time we planned on leaving. We never offer to give anyone a lift, especially a drinker. Never be a designated driver because that means you have to wait around for the drug people.
1: Done. That is a good bit of advice, Vic. Never
0: offer to be the designated driver, ever, as a sober person. Then it's
1: going to be a confrontation, right, because you're sober and you just want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just want to run- go. And that drunk person just wants to stay.
0: Yeah. So that's what people think oh, yay, we've got a designated driver now. No. No. (laughs) That is not what, that is not happening.
1: That's (laughs) a really good one. Yeah, it's a really good one. The other
0: one is to take cash because you can sneak up to the cashier at a restaurant or a bar or whatever if they're doing a split bill you don't want to pay for other people's booze because they probably bought loads and you don't want the embarrassment of being the person that says oh well I didn't have a glass of red wine you sneak up take cash and go and pay them separately before any bill has ever been mentioned and when it comes round you say i've paid for mine thanks very much i'm out I love that
1: that jeez that's really good too that's yeah. a great tip i've never even considered that because it is You know what, splitting the bill in a group is awkward at the best of times. And when there's one person in the group or two people in the group that don't drink and everyone else has had espresso martinis all night, it's so unfair. And do you know what's funny too is because the people who are half cut will be the ones going, oh, just just split it, it's just easier. And you're like, actually, that's pretty unfair. So, yeah, Yeah. that's a good tip.
0: Yeah, there's loads of good tips like that. That's a good one. Just having that mate with you to be awkward with is... is one of the best things you can do because you can talk about these things i say it's all about practice and preparation Mm. so before you go you can phone in advance the restaurant that you're going to find out if they have a mocktail menu find out if they can make you up a special drink i've done it loads of times they are more than happy to cater for people that don't drink because they don't want you going to their venue and being triggered and being upset and leaving feeling uncomfortable they want you to go there and have a good time just like anyone else and you deserve to have a snazzy drink even if it's just got a bloody a fizzy water with some cordial and umbrella sticking out at least you feel like part of the gang you know yeah. so things like that are really helpful, and yeah. also having a sober mate when you leave it means you can sneak out of the fire exit you don 't have to explain to anybody what you 're doing or where you 're going because that is a fallacy it's called back-doring, yeah, love it
1: 's called backdooring which is
0: sneaking out of the back door, not telling anyone they won 't care they won 't even mention it the next day because they 're too busy in their in their whirlwind and you can just sneak out, and you've got someone to go home with then and talk about everything that happened in the night. and, well, and Someone to pick you up and yeah. give you a pat on the back and say, yeah. look, you did it. You had a sober night out, we had a yeah. brilliant time, and here you are today, and we've, we've, we're have we've not dead, we're fine, we're not boring. We're actually, our faces are hurting because we laugh so much.
1: You know, um, just talking about the group dinner thing just reminds me of a story. Yeah. So, my husband, Glenn, oh God, he's just a real treat of a human. And we, um, he was, I feel like in my brain I was there, but I know I wasn't there. But he's told this story so many times, I feel like I was there. So, he, and he, so he's not, a, he wasn't a big drinker and he doesn't drink at all anymore. He maybe have a beer or two, it was never problematic for him. But when I stopped drinking about 10 months in, he was like, well, the only person I want to drink with is you, so I'll just won't even bother. So, he just has been sober for almost as long as me. But before we met, he was out at this dinner. Um, there was maybe like eight or ten people, like all kind of couples, and I think he was not coupled up at the time. And he sat next to this um, this lady, and she was sitting opposite her husband. And so they're sort of in a bit of a trio having a chat. And he, I don't know why he did this, but he went on this rant about how swimming is the most boring sport in the world. And, like, why would you be a long-distance swimmer? Like, that just – you're just looking at the bottom of a pool – following a line the whole time. Anyway, it turns out he was sitting next to Elka Whalen, who's an Olympic (laughs) medal-winning swimmer. And Uh, so he's crapping on about swimming being so boring. And then he's like, so what are you guys doing? She's like, um... So, my name's Elka, and I actually have won a silver medal at the Olympics for swimming. And my husband, Tom, over there, is actually an Olympian water polo player. Oh, <laughs> nice. oh Jesus. Get me out.
0: He couldn't of even down the glass of red wine to get over the, the embarrassment.
1: And he wasn't drinking, guys.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's hilarious.
1: So funny. So, you yeah. know what? I, just, I love sharing that story with you. So endearing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, bless him. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty boring, (laughs) I reckon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, To to talk to someone who spent their whole life trying to.
0: How offensive.
1: She oh. a bloody medal at the Olympics for it yeah. so Regardless of whether it's boring, she's really good at it. Um, <laughs> uh, classic. Oh boy. Well, Vic, I feel like I've taken up so much of your time, but you have dropped so many little bombshells of goodness in this podcast for people who are ready to go and socialise and be sober. Can you tell us just one final time where everyone can get tickets to your Sydney event? Yeah, if you just go
0: to soberawkward.com, there's a little events tab on there. It takes you straight to the event page. There's still a few tickets left. We, I think it starts at half past six. There's a few alcohol drinks, alcohol-free alcohol drinks. There's no alcohol. Drink, no, it's right? definitely a non-alcoholic <laughs> event. <laughs>
1: Wouldn't, no, wouldn't that, be, that, wouldn't that,
0: work. Work. that would be a mess. Oh, yeah. It's today. Today's the day we <laughs> decided <laughs> <laughs> to want a drink. <laughs> <laughs> For what time? I'm
1: <laughs> Imagine. I so my my book's out and I've been doing yes. a bit of. Yes. Thank you. I've been doing a bit of press for it, and um, my co-host Maddie said to me the other day, he's like, "How's the press going?" I was like, "You know what? It's so stressful. I might actually start drinking again." Yeah. <laughs> it's actually been really full of but not yeah. not in all seriousness. But it's no. just it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. We're
0: joking, uh, guys. We're joking. We're okay, joking, guys,
1: because you know what? When you're sober, you can still have a sense of humour.
0: Gosh, who knew? <laughs> what a revelation. <laughs>
1: All right, love. Well, thanks for your time, and I'll see you at the live show. I'm going to go get my ticket now.
0: Yeah, Matt, you're on the guest list, mate. You don't have to get a oh, ticket. Oh, I'll
1: one <laughs> <my, I'll laughs> for someone else and bring them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, right. Thanks, babe. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Selling a little
0: or a lot?